Welcome to this episode of Keep the Hotel Empty. I'm your host, Eric Paul. In studio today, we are grateful to welcome in rapper, author, and boundary pusher, Ryan Ito. In this episode, Ryan Ito shares what it took to get started in his early days in Baltimore, a bit of his ethos as an MC, and some of what his wide range of creative offerings are for the future. Please enjoy. Welcome to Keep the Hotel Empty. Today we've kept the hotel empty to welcome in hip-hop ambassador, hip-hop artist, and community activist, Ryan Eo. Oh, so many listings of things that I am. Yeah. Um, well, thanks for having me. Cool name for the show. I dig the spot. Goodbye, man. Thank you, man. Welcome. So for our audience out there that is totally unfamiliar with you, I know you got a lot going on right now, things going with the youth, things sure. going with the soccer team, your own personal music kicking. Kind of start us at the start where the the hip-hop bug, the ability to MC, you, you notice you can write where that kind of hits you. I mean, that goes way far back. I've been a poet for a long time, uh, since I could write, you know, um, and kind of taking the world outside and creating it into my own words has always been kind of my my way. And then I believe I was about four or five years old. I was in my cousin's car and he played me KRS-One. And I went, whoa, you can do that and put it to music? So I started kind of formulating my own songs. I would listen to, you know, when I was growing up and this kind of puts my my uh, my age into, into place here. <laughs> you know, I remember when Ready to Die came out from Biggie, when Tupac was killed, I remember listening to it on the radio. You know, and those were people that inspired me, even at the time, inspired me to want to formulate, not necessarily sound like them, but formulate words into music. And I thought that that was a very important thing. And then as I got older, got into political science and understanding the community, that I could take that and use those words and that they would be powerful and that they would have an effect. And that was a big thing for me, you know. Um, but basically, when I found out that I could do this, uh, I, I first started with my friends on the corner, you know, figuring out that we could you know, have metaphors and, and go back and forth and describe our environment and where we came from. And then when I was about 20, 21 years old, I moved to Florida. So I'm originally from Baltimore, Maryland, or okay. Frederick, Maryland is where I lived most of my life, but I lived in Baltimore as well. And when I moved to Florida, it was a completely different scene. You know, up north it's battle rapping, it's uh, more street life, politics. Uh, when you get down to Florida, it was more of a club scene. Right. So I started, much like many of my, my associates, creating my own in-home studio, figuring out how to do production, figuring out how to do vocals. Uh, before I moved to Florida, I was working with a guy named DJ Carnage. Mm -hmm. uh, DJ Carnage is a very well-known EDM DJ who is global. Right. And uh, he showed me how to use autotune for the first time in 2003. So this is <laughs> be before T-Pain really started and all that stuff. Right. And I found it really interesting that this guy, at, at the time, he's a little bit younger than me. I think he was like 16 and I was like 20 or 18. And... Uh, he would have a setup in his house and he'd say, come over and record. And I would record with him and he would give me beats. And at the time I was, uh, I used to work at Five Guys Burgers and Fries. And I used to give this guy burgers for free beats. Uh, and then 10 years later, I see, yeah, 10 years later, I see him all over the world. And I'm like, whoa, 
this, you know, things have changed. But long story short, he, he kind of taught me how to put this, the home studio together. And this was kind of um, at a point where home studios were becoming more popular than the normal studio. Mm-hmm. You know, it was when the uprise of, of it. So long story short, I came to Florida, got my spot. I got a two bedroom, one bath. The other bedroom was just a studio. The other bedroom was where I slept, you know? And I would wake up every day. I would go into the studio. I would write. I would do, you know, uh, experiment with voices and, and um, you know, using different instrumentals and, and coming up with, you know, songs and formulating things. Then in about 2010, I met a guy named DJ Purify, who was one of the biggest Florida DJs at the time. And I decided that I would formulate myself using what I would consider Northern rap with Florida style music. So I ended up creating a group called Rhinito and the Go-Getters. Nice. And it was three dudes that come from Sarasota, Florida. And actually I just ran into them a few days ago. I hadn't seen them in, in years, but they were very uh, Southern rap in comparison. So we, we kind of took you know, the lyricism and the cadence of the Northern style, put it into Florida music. And then I just, you know, it it continues to evolve. When you know music, when you do music, for me, I could literally take any style of music and put my music to it, you know? Um, So from that point, I started getting into it and realized that music was more of a business than necessarily the art side. The art side I've always had. I've always been artistic. I have the ability to make music. I have the ability to write to anything. I have the ability to, you know, formulate a song. Would you say that the writing was the first of those skills you had doing poetry? Absolutely. What brought that into your life? Uh, Women. So females, when I was in school, I could write cute little poems to them and they go, oh, you know? And I, and I realized that I just had effects with words. How I would speak in, in class, where I would you know, write in my mind. Um, a lot of people think writing is just a formulation on a, on a piece of paper. To me, I write inside my head before I say anything. Right. You know, so I would um, find out, actually when I was in the fifth grade, I'd become the class president. And it was because I could rally people together and make them go, <laughs> you want this, you want this, this is what we're gonna do. And so I had an ability to kind of take my thoughts, whether it was on paper or in my head, and be able to utilize it as a form of not only expression, but also had gravity to it. Right. You know, so important stuff. Right, so that made it, you having that skill made it so you could, now once you're in Florida, start to parlay this into all these new things. Right, it's like, you know, I, I always equate it to a video game. You get a skill, when you when you play video games, you get a skill, and that skill just builds and builds and builds, and then you add and attach things to it. You know, so as an example, once I started working with Purifier and, and seeing what the music scene was like down here, you know, I realized that from a business perspective, I had to do a lot more for music to be able to be worth the energy and time and effort that I was putting into it. You know, a lot of people do music for the music, and which you should. Right. You know, if you don't start with doing music for the music, you're not doing it right. But at some point, you have to realize, is it worth it for you to do this as a full-time situation? And if it's not, how do you make that happen? So I became, I would even say infatuated with the music business part, where I said, how do I get my royalties? How do I, you know, get paid for the music that I'm creating? How do I own my music? 
Um, and then around 2013, 2014, I said, well, another approach to this, which is what they call the Chris Bridges approach or the ludicrous approach, is I'm going to get on the radio. And I run into DJ Sellis uh, and realize that I have the ability to get on to local radio here. And that started kind of creating the next steps into my career of music because I was not only being associated with people who saw me as a radio host, I was bringing those people in and going, by the way, I also do music. Right. You know, so, and I ended up having, you know, Galen Graham from Aftermath, Dr. Dre, a whole bunch of slew of big celebrities that were connected to the show and people that I knew, and I used that as a musical connection for me to advance my career and other artists as well. So when did you make your first song in relation to that? How long have you been making music to the point where you can start now more confidently pushing it out into a bigger network? So the, fir the very first song I ever recorded was with two students from the University of Maryland, okay? And one day, I'm at my apartment, I'm hanging with my homies, we're all rapping, we're all doing this, and this guy that I used to work with, he was a manager at this restaurant that I used to work at, he said, hey, you guys should really record that, you know? And I said, yeah, whatever. You know, at the time, it was just kind of a, a way for me to express my anger, express how I was, my, you know, articulation of verbs and, and all the above. And he said, I got a friend that is into music. And, you know, I said, yeah, we'll do it, whatever. It's free. Yeah, we'll go record it. Mm -hmm. And we get to this guy's house, and this is like the first time I ever see Pro Tools. This is the first time. And, and this is early. This is like 2006, 2007. Okay. You know? And, um... We recorded a song, he put it down, and it was something that we had pre-written, like we had been spitting like at parties and stuff where people would yeah. hear and they're like, wow, you're really talented. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I practiced this 300 times, you know. <laughs> and uh, when we heard, when I heard the track, when I heard the clarity of the sound, before then, we, you know, you would take a recorder and record to it, and it's like, what's the quality of a recorder in comparison to Pro Tools and whatever yeah, kind people, of microphone? People now don't understand that. They still don't get it. You're talking about having still don't get it. a tape deck and recording. 100%. Okay. You know, where right now I have a handmade microphone. Right. You know, so, and that's the nerd side of the music, which a lot of people don't see, is there's so much technicality to music and the settings and the actual devices that you use to create the music that for me uh, we spoke about this a little bit off off the cast is that quality is the key right you know i'm using a, a neve you know the 1073 actually mine's the shelford um you know handmade russian made so i use microphones you know people go what does that even mean <laughs> now they just go on soundcloud record it and it goes viral Right. You know, you see this dude, uh, what's his name, Oliver Anthony, the one that just did that Richmond, north of Richmond. Mm -hmm. You know, I listen to him, and from a technical standpoint, I go, well, he could work on his voice a little bit, whatever. But the song hits with the energy. Right. And we live in a whole different era at this time where you can just create that kind of energy and vibe, and it doesn't necessarily have to be technical to go to the place that it needs to go. But I still am a snob when it comes to music. Well, that's what I was going to ask. How valuable do you think it is to have that perspective where you came from, where a lot of the stuff that is commonplace now couldn't be taken for granted? You know? It's a re rephrase, rephrase the question. What do you mean? Like, 
you know, you saw Pro Tools when it first started. You're yeah. sitting with a microphone. Everything yeah. is you just you just got to get it done by any means. Sure. And a lot of people, like you said, they don't recognize the difference between that or how short it sells their art. And now you've got. Uh, you know, good quality gear, good quality microphones. Sure. It translates your art so much better. You you know the difference between McDonald's and filet mignon. So I can't give you McDonald's and tell you it's filet mignon. But there's a lot of people running around like right now. If you give them McDonald's and tell them it's filet mignon, they won't know the difference. How much have you been able to use the amount of time you've been doing this, and what's changed in that time to your advantage now that you know the difference? I mean, I would say the people that don't recognize quality, fuck them. I mean, it's the reality of it. If you don't, if you don't recognize quality and you don't think that that's important, great. That's not that's not your lane. For me, it's like there's a thousand basketball players out there. There's one Michael Jordan. Mm -hmm. You know, you can say that everybody can play basketball, but who's putting points on the board like that? You know, so for me, what translate now is even if people don't. Um, recognize the quality of what I'm utilizing, they don't have to. It's not for you. Right, 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 right. If I give you a, a, a taste test with Cabernet Sauvignon and one is from 7-Eleven and the other one's a French wine <laughs> and you don't know the difference, that's not my problem. Right. But I would say that in this world or the current situation that we're in with music, with anything, I think that it is quantity over quality. Doesn't mean that I'm going to sacrifice my beliefs. No. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. How, or that's what I'm more curious about. How have you been able to put those beliefs to your use? How, how have you been able to make an advantage out of that? Well, I think that um, when you deal with people that are about the quality of the music, they recognize it. Mm. So from an advantage perspective, when I take my record and I get a theme song for a soccer team or it goes to the ears of producers that have produced multi-million platinum records. They're going, oh wow, this guy knows what he's doing. When you give it to Joe Schmo, he listens to it and goes, yeah, this song's good. Right. But at the end of the day, and, and I'm not into music to uh, impress anybody. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're a multi-platinum producer or a Grammy award-winning producer, it doesn't make a difference. Right. But I know at the end of the day that my product can stand up to anything. I can tell you what vocal chain I use. I can tell you that Michael Mikowski, Michael Mikowski 13 time Grammy award-winning producer, it's who did the mastering for my music. Right. You know, but at the end of the day, it's not about the accolades. It's for me taking that product and knowing that I put the ultimate quality to it. How important it is for you to maintain that professionalism or your standard? How much of your energy gets focused in solely maintaining, solely making sure the standard gets met? Well, now it's such an automatic setting. So now I have a system where I just have to record the vocals. You know, it used to be a fact where I had to find those people. I had to create those networks. I had to bring those people together and figure out that chain. How am I going to make that the quality product? But now it's a couple emails and the song is made. Right. You know, so I would say that there's not a lot of energy focus in it now, but there was a lot. You know, you build the proper foundation. It takes you a while to pour the slab for that house. But once you get the walls up, that's it. You know, so from my end of things, I would say that now it doesn't take as much effort and energy, not only because technology has advanced, um, but also because I've already created that network of what it takes for me to make a song. Um, so it, it definitely, 
did take some effort in the beginning, but now I don't think it does. Right, and the consistency in that effort in the beginning is what made it so now it's a little bit more autopilot, yeah? 100%, I mean, you live and you learn, right? So when I was at a point where I was recording at Tree Sound Studio in Atlanta with Sly Piper, who's one of the writers from Aftermath, and I was in this million dollar studio going, oh, this is what I need to make that sound. Right. I'm looking at the boards, I'm looking at everything that they have and just soaking up the information. I think that when you have an industry level standard, not that I'm worried about the industry by any means, actually I could give two shits less about the industry, you can't deny the quality. It's the standard portion. You know, like you can have a high quality and you can have a low price, but you can't have both. Right. You know what I mean? And a lot of people don't recognize that. A lot of people go, yo, I recorded this whole album for 500 bucks. Cool. I spent $500 just recording my vocals for this one song. doesn't make a difference. But I know that like when I was recording with you back in the day, I knew that you're using at the time, I think you you had the Avalon 737, you know, the vocal chain that we were using, I think we were using the U87 microphone. Um, Nice ribbon mic then. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember going, okay, these are the qualities that I'm looking for. And I don't sacrifice quality, I think is the key. Okay, what was the biggest thing along the line that taught you not to do that? I mean, internally, I would say that I don't think I'm better than anybody. But I recognize when people aren't doing what they should. If I hear a song that sounds so distorted and so um, poorly recorded, it's because my ears are tuned to hear that. You know, it's like the, the old saying of the man with one eye can lead the land of the blind or whatever it is, right? I can't remember exactly how the saying goes, but the point is is that if I recognize that that is not quality, whether it's been recorded incorrectly, the, you know, the microphone that you use wasn't high quality, the producer who did it didn't mix it correctly, I have that ability to recognize those things then I go, this is what I need to be doing to not sound like that. You know, it's trial and error right. in a lot of ways. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So do you think that when you hear something that has whatever technical flaws or whatever the case may be, that that more immediately reflects to somebody's, for lack of a better term, care about their project and you don't want your stuff to come out with anybody guessing whether or not you cared about it? I mean, I definitely don't want people to go, well, this guy doesn't care about his music. I mean, but again, the opinion of others is not what I'm worried about. It's more about my own standard for myself. That's what I mean. You know, I I consciously cannot put a, a product out to the public, which when you're an entertainer or you're a musician, your job is to have people hear your music. I can't, it's like before before my life as a musician, I was a chef. I'm not gonna give you a, a, a shitty sandwich. You know, I'm not gonna give you a bad dish that doesn't taste good. It's it's about the um, the the standard that I have as a person to say, I'll put my 100% effort into this. Even now, even when I listen to songs that I did three years ago, mm-hmm. I go, man, I wish I would have done this. Right. You know, there's as a musician, as you probably know, you're never, yeah. there's never a finished song. No. You know, it's just one you put out. You know, and I just end up going, all right, I think it's done. I know it's not, but I'll just put it out. 
But at the same time, even at that level, <laughs> I still know that the quality is there. I still know that the best ears were on it. I still know that I've had the final say on it. I've had my group of people listen to it and go, yes, no, what do you think? Are you different about this? I've got my pool of people to tell me this is what we think about this record. You know, so I just think it's um, it's about it's about what is lacking in society today, accountability. You know, it's unfortunate, but it's the facts. You know, when I hear people blame everybody else but themselves, that's where unaccountability is. For me, if a, if a record goes out poor and I put it out there, I'm not gonna say, well, it was the producer. No, it was me yeah. who put it out. Right, right. You know, so. So talk to me a little bit about how you go from the first song that you record with, with, a, with a student in Maryland, or a friend in Maryland, to where you are now conscious of all these things. You've learned all these things and you're starting to release material consistently. How long does that take? What's that road like? Well, I mean, I would say for any person, my personal journey, um, you know, 2017 is when I put out the Cosmic Guide. So that was my first actual album that I recorded professionally um, and you know, took the time and care to write and include people that I thought were going to be beneficial for the records, like Michael Mendez, like my boy Montezzi, um, you know, a, a, a difference of just putting out songs to put out songs to coming up with a thoughtful uh, uh, way to put out music. So was that the road in between? You just did singles and did what releases you could and then the Cosmic Guy becomes like the first real the Cosmic Guy was the first official owned, copywritten, official, official, official. Gotcha. You know, everything down to the T of, you know, I got the document from the Library of Congress that says this is what you own. You're right, right, right. You know, which a lot of people don't even understand that faction and been doing music for 20 years. Right. For, for my end of things, um, I got to a point where I said, yeah, okay, great, I can do music, this is awesome, but what am I doing with it? And part of my brain, which I, I credit to my parents growing up, which were both entrepreneurs, is business. It's like, cool, you can ride a bike, but what is that doing for you other than the exercise? How do I make money while I'm riding this bike? You know, and at the end of the day, when you live in a capitalistic society, the end goal is for you to flourish and be able to create generational wealth and go through that whole process, right? For me, um, in 2017, I made a decision that I was going to not only put out an album, but I was gonna do it to the highest quality with the ability that I had at the time and make everything locked tight, official, no questions asked. This is the artist that's putting this out. He owns this. Here's the proof. Here's the, you know, when it comes down to the, um, the, the legalities of it, at the end of the day, there's no question of whose project this is, right? Then, obviously, you evolve from that. 2017, 2018, I, you know, I put out uh, three albums, three full LPs since then, and then have done singles in between. Singles have been um, more of the direction of how music has been going lately. Yeah, talk to me a little bit about that, because I was actually, we were just talking to, to a metal band, and they released four singles before their album, which was nine songs. And we were talking a bit about how there is no other option. They couldn't just do one single now. They cannibalized their whole momentum. Well, and again, how does it work for you? You have to be realistic on what your demographic is, first of all. Um, 
you know, part of me is I want to be this old school way. I want to put out albums. I want people to hear a story. I want people to get a whole. Uh, I want I want people to see what encompasses this this project that I'm putting together. But music is not consumed that way anymore, unfortunately. Even though I still will do it. Do you feel that that's just an inevitability? There's no way around it. To make a different choice would be to hurt your art at this point. I think it's a generational thing. Um, as an example. Most people would think my biggest demographic is whoever listens to hip hop, but a lot of my demographic is 45 and above. You know, so when I look at what they consume, as an example, this orchestral album that I'm coming out with is gonna be on vinyl. Why not? You know, when you look at vinyl sales in comparison to any other physical sales, it's the best. Exactly. So I think that being realistic with what your demographic is, understanding the data of what you're putting out there, when it comes to consumption from a streaming perspective, most definitely it's singles. But it doesn't mean that I'm going to sacrifice what I do. So as an example, with my most recent project, which is the Paradise song for the Sarasota Paradise, I did a single, but I did 13 songs on a single, which are all maxi single. I did a Spanish version, an English version. I did a techno version. I did an orchestra version. I did a marching band version. So it's a single, but it's what we call a maxi single. Right. You know, so at the That's end- That's a bit old school in itself. But you know what? If you look at the historic properties of any type of business, those things repeat themselves. Amen. So a lot of people have to recognize those trends and say, look, you get to a point where the last 10 years has been singles being the biggest thing. Unless you're a major artist that has 200 million followers in the social media realm, by you releasing an album, like as an example, I think the most recent that I heard Kanye West is coming out with a new album, the people that follow Kanye West are gonna get that album. Right. But if you're me, who is not at that level as far as, you know, um, realistically speaking, as far as what your following is, you have to be able to hit people, uh, the way I kind of always put it is, it's like a machine gun versus a sniper rifle. You know, a machine gun, you can shoot out as many as you want with an album, but with a sniper rifle, you're hitting the, the purpose. The reason why we did Paradise was not only, hey, the Sarasota community, which is where I'm at. Right. It's the soccer world, it's the English world, it's the Spanish world, it's the techno world, it's the orchestra. You know, so I'm hitting all those demographics with one shot. And I think that working smarter, not harder is the key. I just find it really curious how it affects everybody's ability to distribute their art, you know? As far as? I mean, if you feel like you got to give too much away before 100%. the album comes out. It's starting to get to a point with music. Right. That I don't think, unless you are smart enough and you understand how to be different from everybody else, you're wasting your time. Yeah. And, and, and from a, a lot of that example is the industry's control over what exists. You know, uh, Taylor Swift, you know, billion dollar sales when it comes to anything, anything. Yeah. And, and to be quite honest with you, I have never listened to it other than hearing it flying by on the radio. I've never right. listened to a Taylor Swift song in my life. But I also don't control the advertisement. I don't control Spotify. I don't control. So there's a lot of uh, control on how music is consumed by the people that benefit and and profit from it. Um, but it doesn't make music less valuable to the people that don't control it. Right. You know. So for my example, 
if you know like Celis is a perfect example he's a hip hop head if he hears something that's like dope lyricism he's like whoa this is dope and he'll put it on his radio show and he'll play it and he'll like it that's the kind of fan I want right I don't want people that are like oh you're not Taylor Swift I can't go to your concert and see you in front of three billion people and get trampled if the, the place goes into a satanic cult um, <laughs> you know for, for my end of things I think that even with the current state of politics and the world and who controls what, there's always gonna be the independent faction. There's always gonna be the revolutionaries. And whether or not you agree with, oh, he's not famous enough or whatever, some people don't even care about that. To me, I'm blind completely to that. Right. Yeah, that, and that's that's kind of, I guess, the root of it. The, the control issue is, is a good poignant portion of the show because someone had recently told me that 85% of music is consumed on Spotify and the other 15% is split up between well, Apple and if, user. If we were utilizing a democracy the way that we should, then that's a monopoly. Yeah, right. So they should do an antitrust case and break them up. But why aren't they? Because guess what? They're getting paid to to keep them alive. And they're a foreign company. Of 100%. So when it comes down to it, the system is what it is, okay? And you can recognize it and, and be privy to it and, and not be ignorant to the fact that that's the way it is. And you can play by their rules or you can innovate. I'm just wondering, I just get curious, and this is why I wanted to ask you because you're in a different line than this band. I just get curious how much these types of things now actually are choking out the air of innovation. They're actually making it so you can't. If you were to just release an album, you would inherently cannibalize so much of the listeners you could have versus if you would have spoon-fed a couple singles and then put it out. Like, you really don't have a choice. Well, and I think that that is, that plays to what your perception of success is. True. You know, for me, I'm successful if I make, so as an example, Spotify pays point zero 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 one four cents of the track. Yeah. Okay, my blind album that I put out in 2020, which was pretty much a peak of music for a lot of people because everybody was home during the pandemic, mm -hmm. you know, I did two million downloads. That paid me four grand. I put 50 grand into the album to make it, including flying to Europe twice and doing tours in, in uh, Bulgaria and Germany and going all over the place. Right, because that album was a little genre bending for you as well. 100%. It was, it was classical music mixed with hip hop, mixed with electronic. You know, so, and, and, and I think that from an innovation standpoint, a lot of what I see, and especially with some of the numbers that we're looking at now, they purposely stifle those things. They don't want them to be successful because they don't control them, and they right. never will. Right. So from a revolutionary standpoint, um, I would say that, yes, innovation, if you feel that success is based on being a viral artist through Spotify, YouTube, all the above, is being choked out by this type of... Um, you know, monopoly in, in the music game, but when you look at artists, like a perfect example, I said him earlier, Oliver Anthony, 40 million <laughs> plays in two weeks. Right. And guess what happened? He gets offered all these 
job, you know, all these um, these record things from from all these companies. And what do you think he says? No. And why do you think that is? Because you're going to steal my creativity. You're going to take everything I own. The problem is, is there was a, there was a time in the 1960s, 70s where getting signed to a record label was the only thing that would make you famous. Mm-hmm. Now there is something called the internet, which basically. <laughs> makes those people lose control. The, the smart people in the in the industry were the Jimmy Ivs, the Dr. Dre's, the ones that bought Apple, the ones that went to the 99 cent download as comparison to the $30 album. Because mm-hmm. they saw that music was gonna be consumed in a different way, this is how you control the market. From my end of things, it's going backwards, which is gonna make you the most successful. Now I'm going to sell you a vinyl for $35 and it's only going to be available on my website. Every time you click it, I get paid. Every time you buy it, I get paid. Guess what? Here's also my documentary. Here's this. Here's that. Here's my kid's book. All the above. The, the, the control is not third party anymore. The control is you creating your own brand and becoming so much of a dangerous aspect to that industry that two things either ha- three things either happen. Either they kill you they try to buy you out or they try to control you. Those are the three things that we see in society, no matter what aspect you're on. And two, they won't be able to do. They can try to buy me out. I told Cell the other day, shit, they wanna pay me $100 million to make a song about how I hate the government, I'll make 10 of them right now. <laughs> you know, but the reality of it is, is that those anomalies happen and then they figure out well, the next person we put out is going to be an industry plant. They're going to make us $100 million. And then the next person that tries it that isn't independent is not going to see, have the visibility. They control the YouTubes. They control the Instagrams. They control. So all the control over all these different facets is what creates what our perception of what fame is and success is. Right. To me, success is my kids get to go to college. That's it. I don't give a shit about how you feel about me. <laughs> oh, Ryan Ito is on TV and at the Grammy Awards and all that shit. All that stuff is a facade. Right. For me, success is I get to retire. I got $6 million in the bank and me and my wife don't have to work. Amen to that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, I know you got a lot of bricks building up that fantasy dream. Where you're at right now, tell me a little bit about, I know you touched on the soccer thing. Let's start there. How does, how does that come into your world? Well, my partner in crime, Mr. Marcel Bedouin, a.k.a. DJ Sellis, uh, he's always got his ear to the street. And one of the things that we do very well is he says, here's the pitch, and then I just knock it out of the park. <laughs> you know, for me, when I found out that there was going to be a soccer team coming to Sarasota, I look at the 10-year, the 20-year, the 30-year mark. I'm not looking at, oh, a soccer team, great, I can you know, show up and take pictures at the game. It doesn't matter to me. Right. What matters to me is that 30 years from now, they're gonna be playing that theme song. You know, it's about the long game. Um, and also, the community involvement is important to you too, yeah? 100%. You know, in, in the most recent years, I've been more of a hermit. And there's a reason for that. Um, not only do I think society has changed a little bit, but my kids are getting older. So I have to be more protective, you know? Mm-hmm. I carry more guns. <laughs> so the way I think about that is from a community aspect, one of the things that you can do to be a productive member of society, especially if you have kids, is to raise them so they're productive members of society. Agreed. You know, and, and a lot of people don't recognize the power of having children is not only creating and continuing your bloodline, but at the same time, you're creating the next generation. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, as a 20-year-old kid, 
now I'm 37. For me as a 20 year old kid, it was like, I gotta get out there, I gotta fight the power, I gotta do X, X, and X. But you realize, again, working smarter, not harder, you can do all that and you can create a buzz and whatever, but at the end of the day, what are you actually changing? The most powerful ability humans have is procreation. I, I firmly believe that. Now I'm not gonna be on like the, you know, Waco, Texas tip and have 25 kids. I was going to say, you're not going to have an army over there. But it, it, the reality of it is, is that having like-minded people around you, having the ability to, to change society from the perspective of taking your knowledge and passing it on to the next generation. Also having a voice is important, I think, no matter what you do, podcast, um, you know, you can see how in comparison to what society thinks or what they tell you society thinks in comparison to what actual people think. Um, you have the Joe Rogans of the world that kill it in the podcast world because they don't go go with the, the grain. They go against it. Right. The music world, same thing. Oliver Anthony as an example. Um, you know, even in the 90s, Public Enemy as an example. You know, the Rage Against the Machines as an example. Now that I look at all that stuff and I go, I have a, a multitude of facets that I can use. And for me, obviously the goal is, especially as a father, is to make sure that my kids grow up and have a good life. But at the end of the day, I tell my son every day, question everything. Right. I know you're seven. I know this is what they're telling you. But, you know, the other day he goes, yeah, dad, uh, you know, the sun's 93 million miles away. And he starts telling me all this stuff is spitting off these facts like a like a young Rainito. <laughs> and I go, that's what they're telling you. But do you know that for sure? And he looks at me, he goes, well, but it said it on. I go, but that's what it said on the TV. But do you know that for sure? Have you been there? You know, and you have to make them have that curiosity because if they do, then they start to think, well, I can be pessimistic and optimistic at the same time. Right. You know, and I think that's an important thing. Yeah, well, some of the, uh, I hate to say it, but it seems like some of the fashion of critical thinking has gone out the window. Well, that's on purpose. You, you, have, to, you have to now teach kids to critically think. Well, it, here's an example I found out the other day, um, not in my son's school, but locally that they don't teach about the Declaration of Independence. Why do you think that is? I couldn't even fathom, I guess. Because they don't want you to learn how to overthrow tyrants. <laughs> I suppose. That is what it's there for. I mean, that's well, part of it. at least as an example. Yeah. You know, not necessarily saying that everybody has to overthrow their government if they don't like it. Yeah. But the point is, is that as an example, <clears throat> Lexington and Concord, which was one of the big battles in the Revolutionary War, a lot of people think that the British just came and invaded. No, they were targeting munition depots for the Revolutionary War. That's where the, the, the revolutionaries kept their guns. Mm -hmm. So when you hear the famous phrase, the British are coming, that's because they were targeting the guns because what do you think happens if you get rid of the guns? They know that they can now take you over. Right. So not that that is, you know, I mean, maybe that may, for some people, may sound similar to what's going on today. For me, it just teaches you the ability to say, the world is thinking this way, but there's this little group of people that are saying, I don't know if we agree with that. Because you're smaller, or just because you're not the superpower, doesn't mean that you shouldn't have the rights to think the way that you want to. 
So the Declaration of Independence, I think, just teaching it as a document, not necessarily putting an agenda to it one way or the other, because I know people on the right go, well, this is what we need to do, and people on the left go, no, this is anti-what we have to do. Right. I think it just should be a fact that this existed, and you make your own determination of why it's important or not important. You know, and I think that what we're facing now in society, the community, all the above, is that, like you said, the lack of critical thinking is creating people that are okay with whatever they're handed. This is the supplanting McDonald's for filet mignon. And I don't eat McDonald's. No. no. So, and my beef is grass-fed and grass-finished. That. You know, but the, the reality of it is because you have to, when it comes back to the quality of the music, when it comes back to the quality of you as a person in society, strive to be the best that you can. So these perspectives and, and these insights that you have, how much have they been able to work their way into your lyrics now that you've learned these things and becoming a father, I know personally changes things quite a bit. How has that changed your music? I'm a little bit more responsible. Um... By that I mean, you know, recently, like the Paradise song, it's a song about a soccer team and about paradise and living in Yeah, this Florida. is a different animal. Yeah, it, it's more of a, you, you have to, um, as a musician, when the task is at hand to do what the task is, that's what I do. Right. You know, so when I hear soccer team possibly doing a Spanish version, English version, in my head, this is what my brain is telling me. This is what we need to accomplish. You know, that's a whole different sect of things when it comes to the popular music aspect. When it comes to what I really think or what I really put into records, there are songs that I will never put out because it will get me in some serious trouble. Well, that, that was kind of going to be my question. Where is the avenue for, for these, these thoughts and insights that you have artistically? Oh, they're coming. It's about timing. Everything is about timing. You know, we live in a third dimensional plane. Right. The difference between the third dimension and the fourth dimension is time. That's it. I mean, that's the reality of it. So when I look at these things, I have, I have records that are coming out next year, as an example, with major artists. But I'm not like everybody else on social media or in the world that goes, guys, guess what? I did a song with this person. No, you're going to hear it when I decide to put it out there. Right. And then you're going to go, oh, shit. He did do that song, or he did work with that person, or he did. Because for me, it's not about gratification of ego. Most people do things on social media, or say stuff to the world, or dress a certain way, because they want people to like them or accept them. I could give a fuck less what you accept. That's <laughs> the reality of it. Well, that's an important part of the DNA of an artist. Well, it should be. Yeah. You know, now, and we just kind of touched on that a little bit earlier, art has become more of a acceptance thing where it's not art it's now let me do everything I can to get the attention for me it's let me do everything the way my soul and heart tells me this is how I need to do it so I at the end of the night sleep with a clear conscience and say I did everything I could to make those things happen you know, so as an example, when I do songs with major artists or things like that, it's not for me to say I did it. It's for me to 
from a business aspect, make a collaboration that's obviously going to have popularity. Mm-hmm. But the popularity part of it is not for me to say, oh, look how cool I am and how great, and look at how many followers and how many people like this. It's thank you for the album sales. Right. Thank you for agreeing by purchasing the song that my song is quality, that you like it, that it, it meets those standards that I have. You know, so I think that the gratification from a monetary perspective, which money isn't everything, let's be clear on that 100%, but it also states that, you know, when you create a quality meal, if that steak is $150, it better taste like $150. Right. If that steak is $199 and I eat it and I go, yeah, it's a $1.99 steak, then I know that's so assigning value I think is kind of the key to that yeah and how much do you think attention being the currency has messed that up it's the complete destruction of society the complete destruction of society the ego is the complete destruction of society that is what is making everybody you know the division of people whether it's race religion whatever the case is it's the ego. I'm better than this person because of this. They're worse than me because of this. Take the ego out of it and none of that exists. You know, when it comes to um, even even musicians, you know, it's like, I'm not gonna beef with another musician. I'm not gonna say anything. If it, it, it real, real gangsters know that if it's beef, we're not saying shit about it. Yeah, right. It's just gonna go down. I'm not gonna put it on a record, I'm not gonna... That's a different thing. That's a whole different side of things. But the reason why I say that is because there is a point where in the world, in society, in music, or whatever, there's gonna be a a point where people have to have a realization. And when you look at the attention grabbers that exist, or the reason, you know, to me, I get it. Oh, you now have an Instagram account and they pay you $3 million a month to be a fake person. For me, I would rather be poor, have no money, and know that I'm about my shit, than to say, yeah, I pretended to be somebody I'm not, now I have three million bucks. And the attention mousetrap worked. It doesn't, it, to me, it's not appealing. Because I can see the sadness, the fakeness. I look right through those people. You know, I don't want to mention any celebrity names, yeah, right, but right, right. there's so many people. I mean, even some of the girls you see on Instagram that are just talking about what their worth is on sexual aspects. Yeah. It's like, cool, that's all you're good for? Well, this is sort of, and we were talking, it's, it's, it's odd the, the parallels with the, the metal band that was just in here, but it's, it's kind of what I, I kind of playfully refer to as the plasticification of everything, you know? And it's making it so no one can tell the difference. Well, and here's a good example. I had a conversation with a guy the other day. I was in Port Charlotte or somewhere, somewhere down south. Port Charlotte or Punta Gorda. And they're going, oh, you hear about this new resort that they're building here? And I go, yeah, but it's still Port Charlotte. You know, nothing against Port Charlotte. I think it's a fine city. Right. But what I'm, what the point that I was getting across is just because it has a beach and it has water doesn't make it paradise. You know what I'm saying? Someone's got to make that effort. So the the reason I say that is because everything now is overstimulated. It's so amazing. It's awesome. Yeah. Great. Wow, you did such an awesome job. No, you didn't. It was mediocre. And inherently, everything can't be the best. And that's the whole thing. It's not the participation trophies that I'm looking for. If my song sucks, it sucks. I'll eat that. 
I will say, well, for me, I'm a little bit different than most people, built a little bit differently than most people. I'll take that negative negativity and say, I'm going to make some something so good that you're going to have to not, de- you're going to, you can't deny it. Right. But I think that with a generational, I, you know, I hate saying generational because it makes me sound so fucking old, but. <laughs> well, things change quick. I, and I get that. And I get that. I mean, I. <laughs> Just living in Florida for 15 years, I remember when Northport was a fucking swamp, and now it's like a city. Right. You know, time is a is 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 a motherfucker. I mean, yeah. is what it is. But when I look at the difference that we've had in let's just say a decade, from the uh, attention grabbing, the false sense of reality who you are as a person, you know, those things have changed. Those things have changed drastically. And I will continue to say without putting myself on a hit list, it's on purpose. You know, there's a reason why those avenues exist. There's, There's a reason why I woke up this morning to see Oprah and The Rock raising money for Maui when they're multi-billionaires. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, it certainly does. So, so that explains, you know, a lot of the the motivations and the changes. And the only way, like you said, that you can affect the future is try to invest in the youth a little bit. Try to, I, you know, even at thirty seven, I I feel that you know, and, and hopefully, you know, God willing, I got a lot of time left. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people depend on time, and you're counting your chickens before they hatch. Yes. You know, I, I actually a friend of mine is in the hospital right now that just had a brain bleed and they're probably going to pull the life support on her. You know, the the reality of it is, is that you have a limited scope and time on this earth. Do as much as you can make as much of an impact as you can. You know, I'm a firm believer and, and I've always been this way. And I think probably my dad taught me this, but don't ever miss an opportunity to say how you feel, to do what you think is right. I remember when I was seven years old and I was walking down the street one day and I saw this bird fall out of a tree. And I stayed with that bird all day long until the animal control came out. Well, I don't know what the animal control did after that. They probably killed him. But the point is, is that I did what was right because that's what my soul told me to do. A lot of people have a problem connecting with what's right. And that's what I see as not only a society problem, the music industry is, in my opinion, um, completely convoluted with that mentality. And again, on purpose, because it all makes profit. The faker the people, the easier they are to control, the more they can sell them, the more, you know, um, politics is clearly that has been for years, but now is obviously more apparent. Um, We have a real... It's like, is this what it was like before Rome fell? I I, I wake up and I go, is this what they were? Is this what it was like? Everybody got all high and mighty right before the end. Well, and I was reading last night. I've been reading uh, Marcus Aurelius' Meditations. Mm -hmm. I mean, what an interesting guy. Well, familiar with him, you know. And and uh, from from his perspective, you know, he died an old man. What happened to him at the end? Nobody really knows. He doesn't really talk about it either. If you watch Gladiator, you know, his son killed him. But it's interesting to see society in different uh, time frames and time periods that they have the same exact repetitive behavior. 
And the stoicism of that time was a good antithesis to the ills of society that we have parallels of now. It's almost exactly the same. Yeah. You know, even down to frying food. You know, if you look at the health defects of eating a potato that's been fried and what type of poisons it creates, that's like 60% of what people eat. You know, now, as an example, that's going way deep down the rabbit hole, but my, yeah. my point is, is that there are markers that exist from ancient civilizations to even three, 400 years ago, let's say the fall of the British Empire, that are, it's like the same repetitive shit. I was going to say, it's the story repeating itself. And nobody recognizes it. For me, it's like... I wish I never took that pill. <laughs> I wish I was dumb. I wish I just said, you know what? I don't recognize any of this. I'm going to go eat McDonald's and die of heart disease by the time I'm 50. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you wouldn't be alone. That's the sad part. Well, unfortunately, it's 70% of deaths in the United States. So, but, but you're willing to keep your dedication to make the investment, and I know your book here is part of that. Tell me a little bit about that. I'm really interested in this. Sure. So uh, one of the things that we've done through the music brand is I did have a program in the schools a few years back where I would teach kids rhyming and alliteration through music. Oh, and I cool. would go into the classrooms, and we would have a band and you know a drummer, and you know I would rap and do, do certain things that would teach kids how to rhyme and count and all that stuff, right? And that was right before I had my son. Now that I have kids, um, what's the coolest thing that you can say as a kid is my dad's a rapper, and by the way, he's coming to my class to read about his children's book. Mm. You know, Now, that's not the motivation for it. Yeah. The motivation for it is this is a, I don't want to say paraphrase, but it's a, a loosely based on my upbringing and how I grew up. I, when I was in school, I was um, an average student. I didn't pay attention a lot. I never got in trouble. I was a very good student as far as like the teachers liked me and stuff like that. Mm. But I was bored because my mind is going, how do I do this? How do I do this? When I got into music class, I remember being in like third grade. I played the violin. I uh, would sing in front of the class. I would you know rhyme in front of the class and. Uh, this is just a story for kids that says, even if you're interested in this, you can still be somebody. You know, and I think what's important, and I think what a lot of uh, kids that are my kid's age, which is like, you know, three to seven years old. That's still fun time. Yeah, but it's also a, a point where you instill those, um, the, not only values, but your, the word I want to use is like what, what their inspirations will be. Mm -hmm. You know, if you ask my son right now, what do you want to be? He'll go, well, I'm seven. And I say, that's a perfect answer. Yep. You don't want to be anything right now. Now, when I was that age, I wanted to be a veterinarian. I want to be this. I want to be that. <laughs> but the reality of it is, is I want for my kids to have the recognition that you don't have to do what's orthodox to be somebody in society. You don't have to do what's orthodox to be um, recognized for what you what you believe and what you do. And I think by creating a kid's book, not only is it another thing that is part of my brand, um, and another demographic in general, I guess you would say too, it's more about the impact of what I'm releasing to the public. It's the same thing. It's like, do I release a song about drugs and shooting people and blah, 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 
or do I release a song that is going to affect somebody? Like I was affected by listening to Nas and going, wow, there can be people from my neighborhood that think that deeply. You know, so I think it's important to have um, the ability to affect all different types of people, ages, sizes, whatever, by creating a multitude of things of the way I think. So the main goal of the book for you is to empower and inspire? 100%. Or give, and, and as well as give kids the permission to be, 100%. to have latitude? Here's an example. That's it, that's it. You wanna know what you can be when you grow up? Here's an example. This is how I started. You know, now, of course, the effect of it was me reading it and then recognizing me at 37 years old, talking about me at seven, right, is more powerful. But part of this is linking to the brand, the person that I am, the, um, you know, the depth of who I am as a person, and then going, oh, Cosmic Kid, okay, cool. They look on the back, oh, what's this? Okay, here's the website. Right. You know, now you can go back and see, this is the person that wrote this, this is the person that created it. Now you're having another aspect of what's inside my head. You know, from, from my end of things, um, it's more about inspiration, like you said, and creating new um, critical thinking, free uh, youth. Leaving better kids for the planet. Correct. Better planet 100%. Kids. 100%. Very cool. And uh, you also got an orchestral album coming out too, yeah? That's yeah. the next music project coming out? Uh, yeah, so it's done. Um, been done for a while. <laughs> you know, a lot of the stuff that we do when you guys see it, it's been a year. Yeah. Um, the Cosmic Guide, which I did in 2017, which actually I probably recorded some of the live tracks with you, I think, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. yeah. Um, we decided, why don't we record it with an orchestra? Now, in 2018, we did an orchestra show uh, where we used the Pop Symphony Orchestra. I had a guy named Tyler Habig do the the composition of the, the orchestra notes and, and all the above, and basically had the Pop Symphony Orchestra play it and we performed it. And you did a whole show? Yeah. yeah. Uh, five years later, now I have the documentary that will be right behind it. Oh, cool. So part of that, which I've been going through retrograde uh, editing nightmare, mm -hmm. you know, I start out with a, I got several uh, Mac minis that I used to do editing and stuff like that. And anyway, it's just been a, it's been a long path, but <laughs> basically I finally got it to where now I can edit everything and get everything where it needs to be. Very but cool. basically I'm going through footage of, you know, hours and hours of footage and uh, creating the final documentary that will basically not only put out to the world, I mean, you're just going, you did a show with that? And you've known me how long? Right. And that's kind of the point. It's like when we did this for Sarasota, which is we did it at the Neal Center right here in SEF. Oh, cool. Um, you know, we had a reception, there were a couple hundred people there, but the reality of it is, is more of what I did it for was to prove the fact that a rapper could have 75% audience that's 50 and older. You know, and the reality of it is, is if you take something with an orchestra and you put rap to it, all of a sudden people are listening. Now the people that, especially at the time, it's changed a little bit in the last five years, the demographic here is like 55% millennials now. 
Yeah. Um, at the time, we had such a struggle with the community because, oh, these hip-hop guys want to come in and do this and this. Yeah, the landscape has changed here now, real quick. Now they can't deny it. So it, it was more of a, and I have that kind of situation with a lot of lot of facets and uh, entities in Sarasota where it's like, oh, uh, the hip hop guys want this. It's like, no, I'm a, I am a hip hop artist. I'm also this, that, and the other. I own four businesses. I, you know, you it's know, hard not to get pigeonholed. Well, and that's the way that they do things. You know, you have to define me in some way, but I'm undefinable. You know, when it comes down to it, you know, you said a, a plethora of things at the beginning. You're this, you're an activist, you're that and the other. Yeah, I'm all those things, but I'm a lot more, too. And so when you get um, slighted like that, when somebody goes, well, you're just a hip hop artist. I mean, OK, cool. Now, when you meet me in person and you recognize who I am and what I'm capable of, I'm not just a hip hop artist anymore, am I? I have the ability to do hip hop. I have the ability to rap. I can sing, too. I can play a violin. I can play guitar. But I'm not, you're not going to you're not going to categorize me, you know. So at the end of the day, Sarasota, when I first moved here and up until about five years ago, was very biased on that point. Yeah. You know, I did the first and last hip hop show ever at the five o'clock club. Yeah, I remember those. OK. Now, people that are 55 and older, oh, 50, oh, 5 o'clock club. Yeah, I remember seeing Al Fullerton and the blues guys there. <laughs> yeah, but the, the point is, and, you know, of course, we got coverage for it, and it was in the Observer, and it was in the, in the, in the Times. Um, I do those things because people say I can't. And I'm inherently rebellious in the fact that if you tell me I can't do something, I'm going to do it, whether it kills me or not. You know, how do you? How important has it been for you to not let failure or people trying to close doors or things like that thwart you and be able to turn it into motivation? Could you have done this without that attitude? Any of this? No, I mean that's inherently who I am. I mean the reality of it is, is since a young age, and a lot of this has to do with my my Uruguayan side of my family. They're very uh, anti. You're, we're Basque, okay? So 28% of my bloodline is Basque. And if you know anything about the Basque people out of northern Spain and the, the border of France and Spain, we're very hard-headed. You can't tell us we're not going to do that. As an example, the Basque people during World War II, the dictator in Spain was Franco. Mm -hmm. What Franco did is he changed the gauge of the railways so people couldn't go from Spain to France. So basically the size of the, the railroad gauge where the, the railroad wheels go, yeah. they changed it so it didn't match up with what was in France so people couldn't go across the border. So the Basque... That's one way of doing it. Right. So the Basque made an adapter for it. That's the mentality. Ah. Oh, you say we're not going to go here? Okay, we're going to go here. And so that mentality is a, is a, is a heritage thing. It, it, when we, we were actually in Spain, uh, what, 2019 or whatever it was, and we went to Basque Country. I go, these are my people. We're all we're all hard headed to the point that we will die before you tell me I can't do it. You know. So I, to answer your question, the reality of it is, is that um, my motivation when somebody tells me I can't, especially when it becomes a personal nature. Yeah. Like if you tell me I can't, you suck and f you. Yeah. I'm gonna say, oh, okay, cool, and I'm not gonna say a word. But when you see me, you're gonna see me. And so when people told me I couldn't do an orchestra show, here's an orchestra, here's me. 
we can do this. Oh, you can't do a documentary and put that worldwide. No, I can, and I will. Um, you know, you can't, uh, you know, especially in the, in the hip hop world where it becomes competitive and especially when your, your mentality is your apartment complex, but really I'm in the worldwide stage of things. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of people that are so concerned of, Oh, I'm the hottest in the city. Cool. I'm in 178 countries. I could give a shit less about the city. You know, and so that's the mentality is it's not I'm better than anybody is that I can be the top no matter what. And it's not a competitive nature because the reality of it is I'm competing with myself. Right. I'm not competing with you. Right. That's you think we're competing. You're here. I'm competing with myself over here and I could give a shit less about your feelings or what you think about me. And that's the overarching principle of it. You're gauging you against 100 percent. How do I get better? Not how do I how do I impress the fifty people that are at the club tonight? Yeah, right. Who gives a shit about different? That? That's a different lane. But that mentality exists so much, and especially now, especially in society now, and music now, especially from independent artists, which I see a lot. And, it, and I remember coming to Florida and going, "People really think like this? Like, who gives a shit about? <laughs> who gives a shit about the people that are at this club that is closed at two a.m. and you know." But I still see it now. I look on Instagram and it's like, yo, this guy said this about me. What? Da, 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 da. Yeah. It's like, what? Why? Why are you so focused on the shit that doesn't matter? You have so much potential. Human beings have so much potential. And it, it to me, it is very disheartening for one thing. But of course, from a uh, personal perspective, it doesn't affect me. But when I see people do that, I go, God, you can be so much of a better person. Right. You know, and I think that that is not only something that you pass to your kids, how to how to how to be a better person or how to recognize when you're at fault or when you have to be accountable. You know, I, I tell my son, hey, did you clean your room? Yeah, I cleaned it. I walk in there and there's something on the floor. I go, you didn't clean it. He goes, well, uh, I said, be accountable. Yeah. Did you clean it or did you not? You know, and those and those type of things. And I grew up in a military family. My dad was a drill sergeant, so I always had to be accountable. Right. Now, I'm not the same way with my son because my dad was a little bit over the edge sometimes. But the well, reality more part of his life than yours. A hundred percent. And also, I would just say that um, part of the reason why I feel and of course, is my opinion and perspective that society is so soft and so um, de-evolved. People are going backwards, more primal mentality. How do we fight against this person? Or this girl said this on Instagram, or my ass is fatter than this girl. Or like, you gotta get out of that. You guys are down here. You're in the you're in the first and second dimension. You're not even in the third at that point. I'm in the fifth. I'm time is not the, the process here. I'm thinking on a, a multi-dimensional plane. You know, the, the physical body that I have now, it may not last, but everything I do will. Right. And so from a perspective of when I see people, especially now in the current time and space, wasting that energy and that potential, it's like, why? 
got so much more you can do. Well, that's the YOLO thing. That's both sides of the YOLO. One person saying that they saying don't that care. Makes me, makes me dissent. I know it. I know it. Because you know. one side, you, you're using that as a justification to throw time away. And then the other side, you're using it as a justification to not waste a second. And, and I think, and just to that as an example, that saying comes from a certain artist that works for a certain group of people that control the music industry, that control society, that control the way that people act due to the fact that they are in influence is so large it's like tell me half of the shit is not on purpose if not all of it and so when I look at it as a whole well not to get into conspiracy and all that yeah, shit yeah right 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 yeah I don't I don't go into the what ifs I just go by based on what I, what I see and what my opinion is um there's a lot of things that exist and have occurred and I even look at music that I um grew up with and look at them and how they were influenced or even controlled by whatever entity that exists. I mean, the, re the record business has been around for a long time mm -hmm. and they've been in charge for a long time. Yes. You know, when you listen to the 60s music and, you know, I'm a huge fan of like the Temptations, Motown, stuff like that. When you start to hear some of their backstories, you go, wow, they were doing this shit back then too. Do worse crooked than almost. Big time. Oh, I mean, some of those guys would be multi-billionaires artist-wise be multi-billionaires so when you see the same repetitive actions when you compare that to advanced i'm sorry ancient civilizations you see those same repetitive actions you know what the playbook is what do you do about that as a person what is your accountability on that so for me it's like look i have a, the main responsibility i have right now no matter what it is is to raise my kids yeah at the end of the day none of this music documentary all this stuff now i can multitask i'm really good at it i also have a fantastic partner who does a lot of the, the portion of the children that i need her to do mm -hmm. but at the end of the day my goal as a human being is to create the next generation now with this portion of things it's influencing the next generation there's going to be a standard and a metric that says this guy was this. Now, whether it reaches the level of fame because of control or because of my lack of uh, you know, ability to reach those heights, doesn't matter to me because it's still there. One of the things that I like about music, as long as there's electricity, it's eternal. Even without electricity, if you can make a, a, a record player rotate, you can listen to me. Right. So my point is, is that that's one of the only things in society that is eternal. That you can hear me 50 years from now, 100 years from now, even when I'm dead, which hopefully is a long time from now, <laughs> on my grave, you're going to listen to my music. That's in my will. That you will you, there will be an ability for you to listen to my music at my gravesite. There you go. 100%. That's in my will. That's a fact. Nice. The reason why I say that is because music is is partially who I am. I mean, obviously, when you do music, anybody does music, you're putting something into it that is uniquely human in a lot of ways. Um, but it also, I think, especially from a vocal perspective, you attach to your higher self. You you basically become a transmitter for what you're, whatever you are. You know, I'm not going to get into the the physics of it. I was going to say that could be a part two talk for us because 100%. I'm very much in tune and curious of your experiences of that. Well, and I can tell you, recording in some of the studios that we've recorded in, I've experienced it many times. And when you get into, um, you know, the 
spiritual side of some of those buildings in some of those places, it's very apparent. Very. I've been in I've been in rooms with artists, and I know you have too. Actually, were you, I don't know if it was you or your cousin that was recording with us that one time when Michael Mendez passed out that time. Oh, it was me. That was, it was me. you. Yeah. But remember, we had the same conversation about Greg Allman. Yeah. Well, there's a reason why those things happen. Yep. You know, so not to get in, onto that track, but the, yeah, reason, yeah, yeah, yeah. the reason why I say that is there's a higher self existence that people need to be attuned to. They have to harness. If they're able to do that, they become better members of the third dimension. And that is going to be my purpose in life is to be able to say, look, I get what you're doing now. I've had this conversation where I've met people 10 years ago and I meet them 10 years later and I go, Oh, you still didn't get the message. You still didn't understand it. Let me help you out. If I can do that, great. If not, you know, part of me says, I want to help and change and do these things for society. Part of me says, my focus is my kids. I don't care about this shit. I know that. You know, it's, it's a balance. Well, I'm going to get you out of here on this one. Where can people go to help you help others? Where was your music? Where's, what's the schedule like on this book? What's where's Ryan Edo at right now? So pending my publishers right now, <laughs> it's been a battle, and it's a I, I chalk it to retrograde right now because we keep getting like, oh, you have to size it this way, and now it has to be this. Yeah. Even though they sent me a proof of it and it meets my expectations and requirements, it'll be out very shortly. Like we're talking a couple days. Um, everything you can find about me, Ryanito R Y A N I T O dot U S. That's my my website. If you want to look me up on any of the social medias that exist, you can just type in Ryan Ito and everything pops up. If you Google my name, Ryan Ito, everything pops up. Um, we'll link to all that stuff too. We appreciate that. And so at the end of the day, if you guys want to help me help you and help society, you know, buy albums, buy merch, buy, uh, you know, anything that I have to produce, great. Get ready to pre-order a vinyl. Vinyl coming out very shortly. Um, we're looking probably September 23rd for that. Very cool. As far as the, the ability to order it. Right. And then um, next year, 2024, got a lot of major features coming out. Very cool. Well, I appreciate your time, man. I appreciate your insight, and I look forward to doing this again, and we're going to touch on some of that being a conduit thing. Thanks, brother. Appreciate Thank you, you, man. No doubt. Very much.